0: This morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. It is Billy's birthday today, so make sure to find him and wish him a happy birthday. And we're so blessed that he's our worship pastor and his heart for the Lord and his abilities. And so the dude can just do it all, jumping behind the drums today. So make sure to wish him a happy birthday. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be in your house as your people. Holy Spirit, we're thankful that you're here with us. And would you lead us and guide us into truth? May we live in remembrance of you, Jesus, of your broken body, of your shed blood. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. With it being Memorial Day weekend, you know, let's stop and consider people that have made the ultimate sacrifice for us to, to have freedom. I, I don't know that we stop and think about that enough. Uh, my mother-in-law, her brother uh, died in Vietnam, was sent over as a young man in Vietnam and, and never came home. And I, I see that pain in my mother-in-law of, of going through that experience of, of losing her her brother. And, and some of you know that, some of you have had a, a spouse that didn't come home from war or... You lost your son, you lost uh, your daughter, and kids growing up uh, without a parent because their life was, was taken in a battle, in, in a conflict, and we have freedom as Americans to gather in a place like this because people have made that sacrifice. I think Memorial Day has meant more to me in the last four or five years. My wife and I try to do a workout every Memorial Day in honor of a man named Michael Murphy, uh, and He had a workout that he would do and he would do it every day amazingly and died over in Afghanistan in some terrible circumstances. And and so doing that workout makes me think of his family where he wasn't able to come home to his wife and, and to his kids. And this weekend also in our text, Jesus tells us to live our lives in remembrance of what Christ has done because Christ has made the ultimate sacrifice. Christ went to the cross so we could have spiritual freedom, so that we could have eternal life. And and Jesus institutes communion. He gives communion. He says, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. I want you to remember my broken body and my shed blood. And, And that's what the Christian life is all about, is what Christ has done for us. And Jesus knows our tendency is to forget that. Our tendency is to move away from that. And so we're reminded of what Jesus has done for us. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called Passover. The Feast of Unleavened Bread leads right into Passover. You would take this week and you couldn't have any leavened inside of your house. They would go through and and make sure all the leaven was out. And this was a picture of sin. Leaven is a picture of sin. And it was looking at your life to go, where is there sin in my life, in my home? Then this would lead to Passover. And Passover comes from Exodus chapter 12. It was a huge moment of deliverance for the children of Israel. They had been slaves in Egypt. God was confronting Pharaoh. The last plague was if you don't take blood from a lamb and put it on the door of your home, death would come to your home. The oldest would would pass away of your children, of your cattle. And this is what got Pharaoh's attention and he was able to let the Israelites go. So every year God said, I want you to celebrate Passover, to remember that there was a lamb that was slain to bring about the passing of judgment. That's ultimately leading up to Jesus Christ. Jesus is the ultimate lamb. John the Baptist announces of Jesus and says, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There was a lamb slain for a family at Passover and Jesus slain for the sins of the world. Is it a coincidence that Jesus is going to be arrested and crucified during Passover? Absolutely not. The Bible is leading up to this moment where Christ is going to be crucified and Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of Passover. When we apply the blood of the lamb to the door of our hearts, judgment passes over us. In verse 2, and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Isn't there some irony here? These are the spiritual leaders. These are the pastors. These are the priests. These are the, the scribes, but yet they're the ones that are plotting to kill Jesus. They haven't done it because they're afraid of the people. The people love and honor Christ. Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the 12. Satan enters Judas. This is a sombering moment. Here's Judas, this man who's been following Christ. He's a disciple. He's one of the 12. He's witnessed the miracles. He's heard Christ's teaching. He was the treasurer of the money. He's trusted. But yet there was something wrong in his heart. In his heart, he wasn't fully surrendered to Christ and he must have been opening himself up to the work of the enemy to now Satan enters him. Satan's attacking. Satan wants to see Christ destroyed, to see Christ crucified. There's a lesson with Judas that we can be around Jesus, we can be around the things of God, but totally miss Christ and miss Jesus. Dan Hooker did a great job last Sunday of of missing it, going through the motions, and Judas is going through the motions, but, but he missed it. You can come to church, you can grow up in a Christian family, you can have a godly heritage from a family sense, but not know Christ, and even reject Christ, and that's where we find Judas. In verse 4, so he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and the captains how he might betray him to them. Judas decides, what made him decide, I'm going to go to the enemies of Christ. He knows the chief priests want to kill Jesus, work a deal with them. What was going on in his mind? How was Satan attacking his thoughts and giving in to those, those dark thoughts to be the friend, disciple of Jesus, but now to betray him and want to destroy him. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. This is exactly the opportunity they were waiting for. To find Jesus away from the multitude, Judas would provide that and they give money. They give money. Well, where did this money come from? How did the chief priests have money? It came from the people of God. They're they're using the tithes and offerings, if you would, to pay off Judas. We know from Matthew's gospel that Judas got 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver to betray Christ. What a terrible exchange. He gives up Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. What maybe have we given up? We give up Christ in order to receive. I gave up Christ in this sense to receive more of this. This 30 pieces of silver is not going to satisfy Judas. This, this is a terrible exchange on Judas's behalf. Verse 6 so he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. This will ultimately be fulfilled at the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus goes often to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, and that's when Judas will betray Jesus. Then they came to the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. So, unleavened bread going right into Passover. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. Peter and John get the assignment of preparing this fat Passover feast to celebrate together. So they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare? And he said to them, Behold, when you entered the city, which is Jerusalem, A man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. These are obscure instructions. It reminds me of Jesus' triumphal entry when Jesus needed the donkey. It says, you're going to walk into Jerusalem. You're going to see a guy carrying a a pitcher of water and just follow him right into his house. You're going to be at King Supers and see somebody carrying a big water bottle. Just follow him home. (laughs) And walk right into their house. Then you shall say to the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished upper room there make ready. This guy's got a nice guest room. It's large, it's furnished. He's gonna let you use the guest room. So they went and found it just as he had said to them and they prepared the Passover. God had prepared this man's heart. Does Jesus have opportunity to use your guest room? A lot of work goes into the home. Are we willing to allow our home to be used for Christ's purposes? This man was. They found it just as Jesus said. This is the walk of faith. When God calls, when he leads, when he gives you instruction, when the Holy Spirit moves in your life, you're going you're to find it just as Jesus said. We can trust the word of God. When the hour had come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. This is an intense moment for Christ. He's going to give to his disciples the most important message, what he has been preparing them for, the fulfillment of the gospel, the fulfillment of the new covenant. But also he knows that he's sitting with his betrayer. Have you been betrayed? Have you had someone walk with you for years and then decide to hurt you and you know the pain of that betrayal? Some of you have experienced a divorce that you didn't want, that you didn't desire, and have been betrayed by the closest person to you on a human level. Some have been betrayed by a parent a brother or a sister in Christ and know that deep pain. Well, Jesus understands that. We sang this morning of Jesus being acquainted with our grief. Jesus sits at the table knowing that Judas is going to betray him. Notice the change in how the disciples are addressed. Now they're now called apostles. Apostle means sent out. They've walked with Jesus as disciples. And now the Holy Spirit is going to send them out as Apostles. God desires that same process in our lives as we walk with Christ and we're sent into his mission field, sent into what God has for us. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. With fervent desire. Just I'm longing to have this this meal with you. In the Middle Eastern culture, meals are special But even more than that, because God had given the Passover to the children of Israel, the Passover was a sacred time for them. But even more than that, this is the last meal that Christ is gonna have with his disciples before his crucifixion. And he is going to share with them the deeper meaning of the Passover. I desire to eat this with you. But he's also thinking about his suffering. What's on his heart and his mind is the cross, is the, is the crucifixion. Have you ever had some suffering that you know is coming? A scheduled surgery and you're like, oh, it's Friday at 10. I know the recovery is going to be brutal and your, your mind's preparing for that. How much more so for Christ, the physical suffering of the cross, the, the spiritual suffering, where he would take on our sin and be punished for our sin. Verse 16, for I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Jesus says, he's eating the Passover with the disciples, says, I'm not going to eat of the bread or drink of the fruit of the vine until the fulfillment of the kingdom, So Christ is waiting. He's waiting until the marriage feast of the Lamb to enjoy wine and bread in heaven. Do you ever wait to eat until all of your family is there? We we try to have family dinners uh, together, the six of us. It's like, I know you're hungry, but pause, wait. Let's wait till everybody is at the table, especially mom. If mom's worked hard to cook this meal, We're going to be thankful that she's worked so hard and we're going to wait for her to come to the table. Amen. Right? love it. Yeah. We want to eat. We want to eat together. Maybe you've got a lunch appointment with somebody and they're, they're running a little late. What do you do? Do you go ahead and order and eat before they come? It's like, no, I'm going to wait because I want to spend time. And this is Jesus showing how he longs to have fellowship with us. So Christ in heaven in glory, he's not enjoying panera bread up there. He's holding off, and he's not enjoying fruit of the vine, wine. He's he's holding off until the kingdom's fulfilled. All believers of all time are in heaven. Are you looking forward to the marriage feast of the Lamb? Like, are you a foodie? You got some food that you're looking forward to for Memorial Day? I mean, it's going to be the ultimate feast. It's truly going to be organic. Won't have to worry about the calories, but it's going to be in the best company, the King of Kings, the Lamb of God who was slain for us with with the people of God. It's going to be the ultimate party. And Jesus said, I'm holding off until the fulfillment of, of all things. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So holding the bread breaks the bread gives it to the disciples. This this is my body. This is symbolic of my body that's broken for you. Jesus would fulfill this on the cross where his body is broken, where he was nailed to the cross. His feet, his hands, the crown of thorns placed upon his head, his back whipped down to the bone spit upon his beard ripped out broken for you Jesus did an amazing miracle the feeding of the 5000 with 5 loaves and 2 fish not to mention the women and the children there was 12 baskets left over That's an awesome picture of the bread of life. Jesus said, I am the statement of deity. I am the bread of life. Jesus is is broken for you. Jesus is broken for me. God came in human flesh and his flesh crucified so that we could be made whole. Jesus do this, do this in remembrance of me. We celebrate communion together as a church on the third weekend of every month. We, we try our best to do that. And then every Wednesday night, celebrating what Christ has done for us. But do you know, you don't have to wait to have communion at church. There's nowhere in scripture that says, as a believer, you can't stop, pause, worship, remember the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. To do that as married couples, as families, with friends that are, that are believers. You're remembering what, what Christ has done. Do this often in remembrance of me. We're instructed to do. We tend to be forgetful, don't we? And we tend to get off track. Jesus knows that. And so he says, I want you to remember what I have done for you. God, throughout the Old Testament, calls his people to a place of remembrance. When the children of Israel come into the promised land, they come to the Jordan. They've got to cross over the Jordan. It's flooded. God sends in the priests with the Ark of the Covenant. They step into the Jordan and God stops the Jordan River and they walk across on dry land. God has instructions. I want 12 guys to grab 12 huge stones. I'm sure they got the 12 strongest guys from each tribe stack up these rocks as what? A memorial so that future generations go, hey, grandpa, what's the deal with the big rocks there? Hey, mom, what's the deal with the big rocks there? Oh, that's when God stopped the rivers of the Jordan. We walked across on dry land. It was a memorial of remembering God's faithfulness. This is the ultimate memorial, is the broken body of Jesus Christ to keep the main thing the main thing to focus on what Christ has done for us and truly living in this place of remembrance that Jesus gave his life for me. In verse 20, likewise, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Covenant is such an important word in scripture. Pay attention when you read the word covenant in the Bible. What does the word covenant mean? It's contract Think of the strongest HOA covenant in the city. You didn't realize it when you bought that house and you signed the paperwork for the covenants that those covenants are stronger than city laws. There's more leniency on city laws than there is on those covenants and they can take your house and they can find you and you better make sure you've got the right color rocks in the yard, right? That's contract. It's covenant. And so covenant is God's contract with us, God's agreement with us. And in the Old Testament, we have the Old Covenant. And the Old Covenant is leading up to the New Covenant. It's not that God changed his mind. God didn't change his mind, but he was first establishing the Old Covenant, which would show us our need for the New Covenant. Because the Old Covenant, the old contract that God had with the nation of Israel was based upon our obedience. God very clearly said, if you obey, you're blessed. If you disobey, you're cursed. It's on you. It's on me. Blessing comes through our obedience. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth comes through Jesus. Well, how did the children of Israel do? Not so good. They disobeyed. They got the consequence for their decisions. There's 613 laws in the first five books of the Bible, in in the Torah. We tend to focus on the 10 commandments that God gives. Take a look at the 10 commandments. And very quickly, we see our need for God's grace. We see our need for the new covenant. The new covenant is not based upon our obedience. It's based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, this is my blood, the new covenant. This cup symbolizes my blood which is the contract that God has for us. So the new covenant is based on the fact that Jesus declared it is finished. Isn't that beautiful and isn't that powerful? As we believe in Jesus, his death and resurrection, forgiveness, favor, eternal life, grace, mercy flows into our lives. And it took the blood of Jesus. This contract is formed in the blood of Jesus. All of these animals that were slain throughout the Old Testament could only cover sin. They couldn't remove sin. The book of Hebrews very articulately describes the power of the spotless lamb, Jesus Christ, removes sin for us. Do you think God is serious about this covenant? absolutely he proved it with the blood of his son and there's this emphasis it's for you it's it's for you it's for me we trust and we understand that we can stand confidently in the covenant because of the blood of jesus the old covenant was written on stone tablets the new covenant is written on flesh on hearts so the new covenant is not these exterior rules And we tend to gravitate towards exterior rules. We want a set of rules. Don't drink, don't chew, don't go with girls that do. Okay, I understand that. Like, here's the exterior rules that that are given. But the new covenant's not exterior rules. It's God getting a hold of hearts through the blood of his son, where the Holy Spirit's riding upon our, our hearts. And we want to serve God and we want to live for him. I don't know what kind of week that you had. I don't know what's going on in your heart and your mind. The Lord does. But I want you to hear this. If you're in Christ, you're in the new covenant. And that's good news. Amen? Amen? And if you don't know Christ, the blood of Jesus was shed for you, was shed for me, shed for our sin. And this Memorial Weekend, you can trust Jesus. You can ask him to be your Lord and be your Savior. And he's going to forgive you of your sins. In verse 21, But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. Jesus is saying, one of you will betray me. And truly the Son of Man goes, that it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. This is an important verse because we see God's sovereignty, don't we? God's in control. It's determined that Jesus is gonna be crucified before the foundations of the world, but yet the one who's gonna betray Jesus, Judas, is still responsible for his choices. God's sovereignty doesn't cancel out man's responsibility. God is sovereign, he's got a plan. It's going to go down the way that God wants it to go down. And sometimes we may think, well then, I'm not responsible for my decisions. Well, Judas is still responsible for his choice of rejecting Christ. So so God's sovereignty doesn't cancel out man's responsibility. You have the choice. God has given you free will where you get to accept or, or reject Christ as your savior. And we're held responsible for that choice. We go on in verse 23. Then they began to question among themselves which of them it was who would do this thing. The 12 are sitting there celebrating the Passover, hearing the real meaning of Passover. And they're confronted with, hey, one of you, one of you is going to betray me. From the other gospels, we know they ask the question, is it I? They, they all saw inside of themselves that they had the capacity to betray Jesus. I think that that's important. Who is it? Who's, who is the one? But then things shift in verse 24. Now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. Goes from who's the one that's gonna betray Jesus to they start arguing over who's the greatest, who's the best disciple, who's Jesus' favorite, who's going to have the most power and the most authority. I've been thinking about this all week, going, what would cause the disciples to get in an argument at such an important time? And why would they be concerned with who's going to be the greatest? Here's my thoughts. I don't know if I'm right. I think the disciples heard the teaching of Jesus and they thought that Jesus was going to bring in the physical manifestation of the kingdom and overthrow the Romans. Last week, Dan taught about the judgment that Christ is going to bring and the destruction of Jerusalem. And in their minds, they're probably thinking, well, that's got to be the destruction of Rome. When they hear Jesus speak of the new covenant and the new covenant's prophesied in the Old Testament, they're thinking, well, Jesus is bringing in the new covenant. That's got to mean that the Romans are out and who's going to be the greatest in Christ's kingdom in the physical manifestation of the kingdom. I don't know. Or they're just that selfish. Here's Jesus speaking to them and it's just going right over their heads and they're only concerned about who can be the greatest. And that's inside of all of us, isn't it? We want to be seen, we want to be recognized, we want to be great, we want to be greater than others, we compare ourselves with others, which is unwise, we find ourselves being like the disciples. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. Jesus is going to point out two styles of leadership. And the first is unbelievers, Gentiles. The Romans, how do they lead? They exercise lordship. It's do it my way or the highway. They exercise this with a heavy hand and then they consider themselves to be the benefactors for giving you that kind of leadership. Have you ever been under that kind of leadership before? Or it's very heavy handed And then you should be thankful that you've received that kind of leadership from me. This is contrasted in verse 26, but not so among you. On the contrary, who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger and he who governs as he who serves. Disciples, I don't want you to lead that way. I want you to take the position of service, gives the illustration of the younger In this culture, if you were the youngest, you got stuck with all of the jobs that nobody else wanted to do. Remember David? He was the youngest son. Where was he? He was out with the sheep. He was out in Buttsville just doing the job that nobody wanted to do, right? And Jesus is saying, whether you're the youngest or not, take that position of service. Take that responsibility that Nobody else wants to do. Be be the servant. Esteem others better than yourselves. Verse 27, for who is greater, the one who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as the one who serves. The mindset would be if you're getting served, then you're the one who's greater. Jesus is not so. It's the one who's doing the servant, doing the serving. The disciples saw this in the life of Jesus. Jesus lived this out. He didn't come to be served, but he came to serve, lay down his life. John 13, it's at this point that Jesus washes the disciples' feet. I think we've over-spiritualized Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Some talk about we're walking in a dirty world and we spiritually need our feet washed. And there's, you know, feet washing services at church and that's fine. But we don't want to lose the meaning. You know why Jesus washed their feet? Because their feet were dirty. That's why. It was a need that, be, need that needed to be met that people didn't want to do. If you had a servant, the servant would wash your feet because you're walking on dirty roads that sometimes had feces and you wouldn't come into a house without first having your feet washed. And so Jesus takes that position of service and Jesus says, this is greatness. Jesus redefines greatness is serving. Look for those needs in your home. Look for those needs in your workplace. Look for those needs in your your church family. Say, I'm going to serve. What what are the needs in the neighborhood? And taking that position of of service. And I think that's when we find joy. It's when we find joy. We put Christ first. We put others first. We put ourselves last. In verse 28... But you are those who have continued with me in trials. The disciples continued with Jesus in trial. We want to continue with Jesus in trial. And I bestow upon you a kingdom just as my Father bestowed one upon me. Jesus gives the kingdom to the disciples, the Father gives it to Jesus, and Jesus passes it on to us that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus says this is not going to be the last feast. Guys, you're going to sit at my table in heaven and you're going to have thrones judging the tribes of Israel. Who's the 12th apostle? Because we know it's not Judas. Well, we'll get into that in the book of Acts in a few weeks. We're going to go into Acts after the gospel of Luke. But the reward is coming in heaven. Church, this morning, keep the main thing the main thing. We have a tendency over time to slip out of the new covenant and to want to go back to the old covenant. One where we're starting to trust in our own works and our own efforts. There's a little part of us that goes, you know, Maybe blessing is coming into my life because of my obedience. I've been obedient, and so here's this blessing that has come into my life. Is there any part of you that goes, you know, God is blessing my life because I read my Bible. And I'm on track to read the whole Bible in a year. So here comes this spiritual blessing. Was there any part of you that's like, you know, God's blessing my life because... I came to church on Memorial Day weekend and there's some slackers that are out camping this, this Sunday morning and are sleeping in and, and they didn't come to church. Or, you know, we've been working so hard in our marriage. We took love and respect and we're, we put in the effort and so we've, we've gotten the blessing. And God's not an employer and we're not the employee. And we don't just put in our time and earn our blessings And if that's our relationship with the Lord, we're missing it. There's something far better. It's the new covenant of God's grace. And it's the favor and the blessings of God flow into our lives because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Then we get to respond. We get to read our Bible because we want to know his love better. We get to come to church because we're saved and, and forgiven. But the blessings don't come because of what we do. The blessings come because what Christ has done for us. Don't lose sight of what Christ has done. We'll lose the message. We'll lose the importance of it. Maybe this weekend, take some time to to celebrate communion alone with the Lord or a few family members and friends and go, Jesus, thank you so much. I'm a grave sinner and you're a great savior. Thank you so much for your broken body, your shed blood. I'm remembering you. I'm lifting this cup of forgiveness because you took the cup of suffering. I'm proclaiming your death till you come. I'm looking forward to the final feast, the marriage feast of, of the lamb. And if you don't know Christ as your savior, in just a moment, we're gonna pray together. And I wanna give you an opportunity to respond right now. To so lift your hand to Jesus, to enter into this new covenant of God's grace, to trust the blood of Jesus. Say, I'm a sinner. I turned for my sin. Jesus, I believe you died for me and rose again. I want to receive your grace and forgiveness. What you decide to do with Jesus determines whether you go to heaven or hell. Location, location, location couldn't be more important in eternity and God loves you. His blood was shed for you. Would you receive Christ as your Savior? I believe you know in your heart whether you've ever said yes to Christ. For some of you, you've been around church a lot. For others, you're just getting exposed to church. Some watching online. But to let the Lord do that work in your life for you to say, I'm ready to receive Christ as my Savior. So let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for your covenant, your contract your blood that was shed for us. And we remember you this morning. Help us to not lose sight that it's about what you have done for us. Lord, you know hearts. You know those that have not yet received you as their Savior. Would you communicate your love to them? Would you communicate your your grace to them? If you'd like to receive Christ as your Savior, if this This makes sense to you. Would you go ahead and raise your hand and leave it up and I'll lead you in a prayer. We'll just wait for a few moments. If you'd like to receive Christ. Anybody today that says, man, that's me. I need to trust Christ as as my savior. Well, Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity to meditate on the gospel to meditate upon your love for us. And as a church family, we make much of you today, Jesus. God, would you bless your people. May we know the height and the depth and the width of your love. May we be overwhelmed with what you've done for us. We love you in Jesus' name, amen.